Hi, I'm Reverend Wendy Craig Purcell here at the Unity Center in San Diego. Thank you so much for watching today. If you'd like to support the work that we do here, please consider making a contribution. Go to our website. It's easy to do. Thank you in advance for that contribution. Now, I hope that not every single one of us sitting here today would define or describe ourselves as our life being in crisis. I don't think that that is necessarily the case. I would say that the ideas that they express, these seven stepping stones in turning our life around, can apply at any point in our life, whether we are in a time of significant challenge or change or crisis, or whether we're just finding ourselves wanting to, to live life anew or to get back in touch with a vitality and an energy and a hope maybe that we feel that, that we have lost. And so we're going to be exploring together how do we do that. And the very first piece of it is always, I think, the starting point of any true journey. And it is a journey and the, awareness, the practice of awareness, the practice of awareness. We cannot change anything in our lives individually or collectively if we are not aware, right? We have to be aware of where we are, where we want to go, what's going on inside of us, what's going on around us, before we can even begin to do that deep inner work of change. I like very much the emphasis that is put on this idea of needing to work at the level of the soul. And I want to share some of the opening words with you to, to their book. They write, nothing in the world is more mysterious more complex or more private than the landscape of your own soul. Nothing in the world more mysterious, more complex than the landscape of your own soul. You alone traverse its peaks and valleys. You alone have traveled into its dark crevices and across its sunlit meadows. You alone have built its prisons as well as its cathedrals. While you may not know the route your soul has taken, whatever you are today is a direct result of that route. We don't think often enough about our souls. I think we think about our life circumstances and our behaviors. We think about our thoughts. But I'm not sure that we spend enough time really trying to understand ourselves at the deepest soul level. This past Friday night, I held another Gatherings for Good in my home. We hosted 12 members of our church who had won the auction. This was the second such gathering we had. We call them Wine, Cheese, and Wisdom with the Rev. And in the conversation, we talked a bit about the journey of the soul and, and how some of it can be known and some of it is not known. That on a soul level, there is such a great deal of mystery. And yet, if we look out at our lives, we do get a little bit of a sense. If we look out at our lives with a sense of awareness, we get a bit of a sense of what we are here to do, what we are here to learn, what we are here to overcome, and what we've kind of got somewhat mastered. And so in our exploration, it's so important for us to dig deeper and digging deeper to me is looking at ourselves at the soul level. I deeply believe that people who come into unity are people who have decided that they are longing for something more in their lives. That we come into unity because something's not quite right. 
Maybe we feel like something is missing and we can't quite put our finger on what it is, but we just know something's missing, something's not quite right. Or perhaps we come into unity because there's a certain longing. We just know that it could be better than what it is. Or maybe we're confused. Or maybe we're afraid. And maybe we've tried all sorts of other paths and traditions and they've left us feeling somewhat empty or perhaps even more confused or perhaps even ostracized because we didn't believe every single thing that we were told we had to take on, on faith or just on somebody else's word. But we come in and we come in, I sincerely believe, with a hunger ring to learn and grow and a hungering that comes not just at the cognitive level, but is a really a hungering of the soul to learn and to grow. So we're going to be looking at working at the level of cause, not the level of effect. And this is basic metaphysics 101, that it isn't about attempting to rearrange the outer, it's about attempting to understand ourselves at the very deepest inner core. I don't know if this is true for you, but I still find that this is a tendency for me. When I find myself in a problem situation, too often I look outside myself first when I know that what would be more powerful is to get quiet and look inside myself first. You see, too often we turn around and we're looking for somebody else to give us the answer and tell us this is what we are to do and that is what we are to do and this is the way that we are to go before we take the time to sit quietly and reflectively and ask of the deepest part of us, which I believe is her soul, what is right for me? What is wanting to emerge in and through me? What is it that I am yet to become? What is it that I am yet to do or learn? Where am I to stretch and grow? Where and how am I to heal? So this is a journey of not looking without, but looking within. I like that they define their turnaround, the whole concept of turnaround, to be built on four key ideas. And you're going to hear me repeating these throughout the series and through, even throughout this morning. The first one is this, is knowing that you are a spiritual being. I am a spiritual being. Say that with me, please. I am a spiritual being. And again, I am a spiritual being. I have body. I have responsibilities. I have a physical life I am living, but first and foremost, I am a spiritual being. Second key principle or idea that turnaround is built on is recognizing that there is an intelligence and a creative force within you. An intelligence and a creative force within you. Say that with me. An intelligence and a creative force within me. An intelligence and a creative force within me. Man, if we could raise every single child to know that and to live by that, we would transform our world. To recognize that there is an intelligence and a creative force within us. We have to be pretty creative to create some of the messes we get ourselves in. <laughs> I mean, really, truly, I remember when my minister many, many, many years ago, Bob Stevens said, every single one of you is creative beyond your wildest imagination. Look at the messes you've created in your life. I wanted to get up and walk out when he said that. I didn't because I was too taught manners in church. 
and I argued with him in my mind, but I came to understand that every time I argued with him in my mind, it was because he touched a moment of truth that I was struggling to, to admit and acknowledge. But when I stopped the struggle, and when I looked at it and could admit it and acknowledge it, I could begin to change. So there is an intelligent and creative force within you. The third is realizing that you live in a supportive universe whose benefits are available to you at all times. You and I live in a supportive universe. And its benefits are available to us at all times. Say that with me. You and I live in a supportive universe and its benefits are available to us at all times. It does not mean that you necessarily work in a supportive environment. It doesn't necessarily mean that your family of origin was as supportive as you may have wanted it to, to be. You may have, but maybe not. What it's pointing to is something much vaster than that. Rumi suggests that the universe is rigged in our favor and that we ought to live our life as if we believed it was rigged in our favor. Because when we do, we live it from a very different mindset. And lo and behold, we begin to find that more often than not, things begin to work out better. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? We live in a supportive universe, a supportive universe whose benefits are available to us at all times. But it's not as if the universe says, here, take them. We have to open up to receiving them. And that is the differentiating factor between those who are more aware and awake to the level of consciousness from those who have not yet awakened very much at all. And the fourth is learning how to free up your soul and prepare it to receive. Learning how to free up your soul and prepare it to receive. Say that with me. Learning how to free up my soul and prepare it to receive. A lot of times we push our good away without even realizing it. We can push our good away without even realizing it when we feel unworthy. When we feel unworthy, the good that's trying to come into our lives may come in for a little while, but it's not going to stay. And this is why this deeper work at the soul level is so very important. In their beginning of the chapter on awareness, they say, the Tifolis write, no matter what we think we want, our real need is to become more aware of our relationship with source. And by source, they mean the divine or, our, or God. That no matter what we think we want, our real need is to become more aware of our relationship with our source. That it's not that we should be spending so much time trying to figure out how we got here. More important is to say, where am I now? Where am I now? And recognizing as objectively and clearly where we are now so that we can move forward from where we are now. So here are three ideas that I want to share with you, then a little bit of homework. Okay, that's okay. You're here for a reason and a purpose. There's no test to the, well, actually there is a test to the homework. Do you know what the test of the homework is? Your life, right? The spiritual homework that we either do or we don't do is entirely up to us. It's very different than in school, right? When you, you had to do what the teachers told you or the professors told you or there was a consequence on a report card or a diploma. Well, the consequences for us is not that somebody else is watching us anymore. 
but our life is always mirroring what it is we are practicing and what it is we are asleep to practicing. Anyway, that's a whole other lesson. So the first point here, though desire gets us going, if we don't dig deeper than the desire to the true motivation, we will wind up getting stuck in an endless do loop. Let me reread that. Though desire gets us going, if we don't dig deeper than the desire to the true motivation, we will wind up getting stuck in an endless do loop. It's like, let's say we're hungry and we go to a restaurant and we look at the menu and we decide what we're going to order. And we order that. <clears throat> we might think that what our real desire is, is whatever we just told the waiter or waitress we want. But if we really dig deeper, what's really beneath whatever it is that we told the waiter or waitress that we want? What's really motivating our order? The physical hunger and the need to nourish our bodies, right? So there's the surface desire, and then there's the deeper or real desire, the motivating desire. How many of you remember a similar story, actually, that Jesus gave in the Gospels? It's the story of the Samaritan woman coming to get water. Let me refresh your memory. It's from the Gospel of John, the fourth chapter, starts with verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, but you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That is such a powerful illustration of this idea of the deeper wellspring that resides within each of, each of us, the source of spirit, the source of God within each of us. What the woman didn't quite understand, she was looking very much at the surface level, right? And understandably so. Here Jesus is talking about water and she sees, but you don't even have anything to get it with. And he tries to correct her thinking, her vision, her understanding by pointing to something that is much deeper than the physical water, something much deeper that quenches and satisfies the longing of the soul. This is true of every external desire that we have, that when we understand it at a much deeper level, it is not about the thing. It is about the feeling. It is about the connection. It is about what the soul is longing to experience. This is why we can get our prayers answered externally and still feel empty. This is why no amount of stuff 
can ever take the place of the longing of the soul to understand who and what it really is. I believe we incarnate in the life experiences that we do and that they are perfect, not always likable, but perfect for our soul's development and our soul's awakening. But it is up to us whether we are going to pay attention to the cues and the teachers and the lessons and the learnings along the way. And when we do pay attention, and when we do make the changes, and when we do do the growth and awakening that is ours to do, there is a satisfaction that we feel that no one and nothing can take away from us because it's a satisfaction that is not circumstantial. It's not based on anything external. It's based on the deepest connection of our oneness with spirit within. Does that make sense? It is what is behind the, the longing. The second point, most of the time, it isn't what we think it is. Say that with me. Most of the time, it isn't what we think it is. It's so easy to quickly identify what we think the problem is. Oh, I need this. Oh, I want that. Oh, here's the answer. Oh, here's what should be changed. When I do my coaching with the women's group here at the church, it's always built around a theme and some selected readings. And I invite us to listen to the first reading that I share the way we usually listen to external auditory input, and that's cognitively. But then I say, now put the paper aside and now sink into that deeper part of yourself. And let me share this with you again. And this time, listen with the ears of your heart or listen with your soul and try to listen to and for your deeper wisdom, your deeper wisdom. And the insights that come out of that process are much, much richer and much more helpful to one's spiritual journey than what we usually get just cognitively. The Defolis write, the biggest lie you will ever tell yourself is, when I get what I want, I'll be happy. Because what you really are yearning for is to reconnect with the power that runs this universe. What you really want is a greater awareness of this presence. It's actually a yearning to come home again a yearning to come home again. Like a portable power tool that must be returned to its charger to regain and maintain its power, we all yearn to reconnect with the divine source within. No matter what we think we want, what we really want to feel is fully at one in that connection. Can I have an amen to that? Amen. 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 And then the third point is this. And boy, is this a practice point for me, and maybe it is for some of you as well. Stop overthinking where the problem condition came from or how long it's been in your life. Make the choice to do something about it now where you are. Let me repeat that. Stop overthinking. Is anybody else prone to overthinking like I am? Raise your hand. Boy, I really do. We, we attract each other, don't we? Stop overthinking where the problem or condition came from or how long it's been in your life. Make the choice to do something about it now where you are. I don't know if this is true for you, but sometimes when I am aware that I am overthinking something, I also have to come to that 
rigorous self-honesty that says, and why are you overthinking? Well, overthinking is safer than taking the risk of getting out there and doing something, right? Because if I get out there and do something, if I make some change, what might happen? It might not work. It might not work. <clears throat> and I can plan and plan and overplan and overplan and prepare and prayer and prayer. Anybody else like that, right? All in your head, all in your head. There's a place for some of that, but I think what we're being pointed to or reminded of here is when we use that as an excuse to not do what needs to be done now, we will never be able to make the forward progress that we really long to and yearn to make. So watch, if you have it, any tendency to overthink what is going on and overanalyze how did I get here. Acknowledge where you are and move forward. In fact, that's the very first step of the homework. So step one, and they call these soul steps. Clearly identify where you are now. Say that with me. Clearly identify where you are now. Clearly identify where you are now. If you want to travel to any place in the world, you have to do two things, right? You have to type in where you want to travel to, correct? But what else do you have to type in or enter? Where you are, even before how, even before how you're gonna get there, where you are, where you are. It reminds me of one of the, the, the steps in the 12 step program of taking true inventory, true inventory, clearing up our past, and taking true inventory, where am I now? Where am I now? And being okay with wherever we are right now. Maybe you are not where you thought you'd be in your life now. Maybe when you look at how many birthday candles are on your birthday cake, in your private moments, you might sit back and think, gosh, I really thought I was going to be further along. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you identify with that. But maybe you feel that way. And maybe that keeps you from being as honest with where you are and as open to what your next steps might be. But on a soul level, it really doesn't matter how many candles are on your birthday cake. On a soul level, you have an agenda. You have a learning um, assignment, if you will, that's not bound by time and isn't even bound by this body. And so it is less about, am I where I thought I was going to be at this point in my life? Then it is about, okay, this is where I am. This is where I am physically. This is where I am financially. This is where I am in my relationships. This is where I am in my sense of place in the world. And I identify that and I celebrate that I am where I am right now. I give myself permission to be there. And it is from that acknowledgement and permission giving that I will strengthen myself to feel better about and more open to looking at what is my next step. Does that make sense? It doesn't work so well if we shame ourselves or criticize ourselves or demean ourselves for where we find ourselves right now. Who in the world wants to grow in that kind of energy? But if we can say, okay, here's where I am. I can see some of the things that I, I long to have different, but I'm gonna be honest 
and I'm going to pick it up from here. So number one, step one, and there's only two, clearly identify where you are now. And the soul step number two, open yourself to the universal intelligence and deeper wisdom within you. Let me repeat that. Open yourself, open yourself to the universal intelligence and deeper wisdom within you. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that there is a deeper intelligence and wisdom in yourself? Raise your hand if you believe that. Raise it really high. Okay, that's almost universal. It is true. Even if you don't think so, it is true. There is a deeper intelligence and a deeper wisdom within you. But you do have to practice opening to it. Personally, I don't know of any better way to do that than in very genuine, consistent, quiet reflection where we take one or at most two deep philosophical questions and we sit in earnestness holding those questions in our heart and in our soul and listening with the ears of the heart, making it safe for whatever wisdom to emerge, not pushing it aside by saying, oh, I didn't expect that to be the answer. That's the quickest way to shut out and down that still small voice or that voice of wisdom within you. But if you will sit quietly and open into the truth that there is a deeper wisdom and intelligence within you, you will begin to sense what it is. And you, more than anybody else, you won't need to ask somebody else what it is that you need to do. You will know if you don't already know. Namaste. Namaste.